Hello everyone, welcome back to Left Page. I am Frank, your always online historian, researcher, writer, podcaster, and queer goth. <laughs> and today I have something very special. I, I am alone, mostly because I wanted to, to do with this episode as I will. For it is our two-year anniversary episode. The first Left Page episode went out on... Well, technically the intro went up on February 13th, 2019. And the first proper episode on utopias, or rather dystopias, the idea of utopias in science fiction, on the 15th, that same month, two years ago. So, slightly early, but just about enough to make it the anniversary episode. And this time, instead of just, like, going through a, a, a novel or a short story and making it, like, me doing this myself on simply a sci-fi work, and so, cause as we did before, I'm going to make this my own. Considering all the recent redefinitions and all, it, it only makes sense, really. So, I... <laughs> I felt right, too, that I should be having some fun. I should be celebrating, and with that, I'm, I've made some fun excuses to talk about interesting stuff. And I'm going to be talking about a character, in particular, through a wide variety of medias. It is Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Thief. It's going to be a doozy. So let's get into it. Arsène Lupin is a fictional character from French writer Maurice Leblanc, and he was the protagonist, really, of a wide range of short stories and novels as the world's greatest thief, in short, to put it to say, because he's simply brilliant and makes a bunch of elaborate schemes, but he's also investigative, he's still dedicated, he's still uh, sort of a thief with a heart of gold, really. And we'll get into it more in the various representations. But just to add a bit about the history, I wasn't able to learn much about Leblanc himself, other than like he had an interest in writing and creating short stories. And it was because of a request, a request and a suggestion of a friend of his, Pierre Lafitte, that suggested, "Oh, why don't you write a short story about like a thief and whatnot?" And thus, Arsène Lupin was born uh, in a short story in 1874 as, as he is arrested. And it was so popular and so successful that people and uh, his friend called for more. And I was like, well, what can I do? Well, have him break out. Simple. Easy. <laughs> and he does a lot more than just that, even orchestrating robberies from inside prison and he became a really popular figure in France having a way 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 too many short stories and like I think over a dozen novels if I'm not mistaken and in, in a simple way Lupin became a real staple of like 
an actual like symbol. And they're such entertaining stories because well, he's a spectacular thief with impeccable plans and they operate almost as an anti-detective novel or an anti-detective story because instead of like, oh, what is the, who's the culprit? What are we going to figure out? It's like, no, we know who is the culprit. We know it is Lupin, obviously, like reading a story of his, that's what you expect. You're going to be surprised if it's not him. But <laughs> you're more interested in figuring out what is going on. How is this story occurring? And as we investigate and solve this robbery, we have ma made to like root for Lupin. Like he is entertaining. He is funny. He's like, and like, let's be honest. It's just it's the funniest thing in the world to see <laughs> so many rich people be made fools of themselves because they are. <laughs> and just for <laughs> just for Lupin to rob them and the <laughs> uh, this this is fun he is he is even smarter than like the world's greatest detective that would be Sherlock Holmes or rather should I say uh, Herlock Sholmes you can blame copyright for that change and Conan Doyle being petty over having seen his his titular character defeated uh, and so Leblanc was <laughs> just as witty as Lupin would have been. And I was like, well, I just just gonna make it a spoonerism and switch the letters. And so we have Herlock Sholmes, who everyone knows who we, who we we're talking about. And yet So just just excellent. Just excellent. So okay, then we have a bit of a, a background on who Arsène Lupin is, what he does, and what these stories are about. Stories of, like, wit and fun. Uh, if the original detective stories, as portrayed and thought about by Poe, were stories of mystery and investigation and details and reasoning, then this, these are stories of playing around with those ideas. It's like, there is a criminal, there is a setup, there is a robbery. So how do you play with that formula? And how do you make Lupin a likable and interesting character? And I'm going to be talking about that, but one of the things I'm going to do by bringing out these three, well, three mediums, is I'm going to talk about the character, and both in the original stories, but also how, how, he's, how he exists beyond them in these other mediums, which make use of him as a historical one. They're not like rebuilding the tradition of Lupin, like telling these stories in a modern setting. No, it's like in a way they are, but they're utilizing that idea of like, yeah, no, the Lupin stories are a historical thing and how are we going to do this? So what am I going to use <laughs> for my eternal amusement? I'm going to be talking about some of the original stories, at least in the original collection of The First Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Thief, uh, as published by a Brazilian publisher of a very nice hardcover pocket edition. Uh, it's very good looking. And I'm also going to be talking about, because it's convenient and these things come together quite nicely, Netflix's Lupin, which literally came out almost a month ago, I think, 
uh, which is interesting in quite a lot of ways. Good ones. And it's because it's our anniversary. I love it. And it's an excuse to talk about it. Persona 5. Where your main character's persona, which is a, <laughs> a sort of religious, cultural being symbol made manifest and quite literally put as like the embodiment of your will of rebellion, the main character's one in Persona 5 is Arsène Lupin in a very stylized, demonic way, which is truly fantastic. Aesthetic girls, for sure. So, what I'm going to do is go over each one and consider what these various mediums tell us about Lupin, how they play with this magnificent thief. And what he is he doing? Like, is he a rebellious figure? Is he just like a fun, entertaining thief? Or what is he doing? And the various mediums and stories do different things. And I thought that was going to be a fun idea that like, yeah, I can make it entertaining and I have plenty to talk about myself. So let's go into it. This is probably not going to be as long as a usual episode, but I think it's going to be fun and entertaining all the same. So... Let's start with the original stories of Arsène Lupin. How is this genius, fantastic, mocking thief uh, going about? Uh, well, he's robbing rich people and he's making them fools of themselves. So, oh, also, he constantly disguises himself as a noble and it's like he plays uh, at people's expectations and like, no, you couldn't be Lupin, even if you look really like him, you're too... No way. Of course it's Lupin, everyone knows it's Lupin, but like, eh, <laughs> that happens a couple of times. Uh, but the way he's sort of subverting all this and using it to literally show the incompetence of both these rich nobles and the police themselves can be potentially radical, right? Well, in the original stories it's... It's murky at best. He isn't really a Robin Hood figure, even if he uses disguises and uh, is sort of kind of honest and kind-hearted. Uh, <laughs> he lives kind of like a noble, uh, to all intents and purposes, and he has kind of a, a large posse, but uh, he does it all at, at the end of the day, kind of like for personal gain. Or like for his group, whatever they may be, from what I've read so far, that's never really become clear. And sure, he, he's a thief, he's just kind of more honest and upfront about being <laughs> who he is, which is, that's fun too. Uh, but is he radical? It's kind of what I'm going about, because, well, that's one of the ways of an interpreting and looking at various pieces of media, not trying to force anything upon them, but like, is there anything we can extract from them, and what are they historically? Like, I am a historian at the end of the day, so I don't want to apply these labels and these things anachronistically. I want to utilize what is there already, and either potentialize it or subvert it. So, that's why I'm going through these various mediums, and, and they do different things. In these original stories, he is still fairly bourgeois in the way he uses his gains, and even kind of his mannerisms, doing it more for like the challenge and the power to rob than for any real goal of change. 
there's even a, a particular quote at, at the end of the, the, the edition I have that it has like a postface of Leblanc talking about Lupin, and he call and he calls effectively how Arsène is a sort of good bourgeois, and he's conservative. He is sort of focused on this, even if he is like a, a big thief. There's a particular quote from one of the stories, which is like, "Oh, I am just a good bourgeois, all the same. Like, if a thief stole my watch in the street, I'd be like, police." And the thing is, there's something, and Leblanc comments this. There's something deeper in Lupin, whether he is wholly aware of it or not, but he's led almost instinctively to rob, to subvert this order of power, of prestige, that he himself personally seems to defend. So, he's not easily one thing or the other. He's not like a heroic Robin Hood who is like trying to upend however he can, and this is taking Robin Hood quite far, but you know, as a symbol again, as a way of sort of striking back against the inequalities and the power of the rich and powerful and trying to utilize their wealth for the common people. He's not doing any of that. He is mostly humiliating the rich. Which, again, pretty good praxis. But <laughs> is that going much further? Like, again, he can potentially be a radical force, especially in some of the... Even if, in the original stories, he isn't that much. There is a sort of tension at work between what Lupin as a character is led to believe and his actions, which I think Leblanc plays skillfully. But considering the image in the stories, he is a teasing symbol, so to speak. Like, he pressures and things. He, he is a thief. He exploits these pathetic customs of nobility and bourgeois of French society. He does push these things quite further and in, again, very entertaining ways. But he's not really radical. At least not easily, you need to push it further. Which doesn't mean that the memory of Lupin isn't radical. And this will come up later, especially at the end. But what we have is this thief who exists in a sort of tension and who can be more or less radical, but who isn't really that interested or that focus in change. The way of society at work in present day for Arsène Lupin as a historical character is fine. He takes full advantage of it and would not like it to be different. But his behavior and his actions put some pressure over even that conception himself. So fairly ambiguous, fairly a great deal of tension, but at the end of the day still potentially radical, even if not as much as we like. Now, now we're going to jump just about, you know, a <laughs> hundred and... no, 140 years in time, almost. <laughs> and now we're going to be talking about the actual show, simply Lupin, which is from 2021, no less, so very, very recent. Now, what is the most interesting things, and I do need, do need to make a mea culpa here, that I didn't manage to watch everything for a bunch of reasons, uh, stress and anxiety mostly, and uh, it's been difficult for me to watch TV shows when I'm not feeling that great. 
So, other things have been helpful, but sadly I've not been able to catch up and to finish it because it, it, it's just seven episodes and they're not 45 to 50 minutes. So it's doable, but sorry about that. And I also didn't want to be too much spoilery. But from what I've seen so far, we are in contemporary society with Hero, pretty much. I don't think it's as ambiguous as even the original stories. Who is Asan Diop, a son of a black Senegalese immigrant. And he is sure early on in his life uh, made an orphan by what is quite obviously some sort of setup. And such adventures, such experiences lead him, inspired by the original of Saint Lupin stories, to do his heist and his sort of mission, really. And one of the most fascinating things that are treated in this story is the matter of the racial dynamics. Because the racial prejudice is put out quite clearly from both overt and subtle ways that the show portrays. Early on, he is in a, a, a rich auction, and he is in disguise as a fellow rich people. But unlike the others around him, they don't know his name, they don't make it that much of a point, and they, in ways that the show doesn't even draw that much attention on, he's treated differently. And later on, he's treated in very... Yeah, no, uh, what is it that one of the organizers of the auction say? That, like, oh, I didn't expect someone like you would be interested. <laughs> um, or that sort of thing. Which, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty fucking racist. So, and even beyond that, the fact that he is black, he uses to his advantage. Because, at the end of the day... He is seen by a great deal of French society as kind of invisible, interchangeable. And that's a horrible thing to say, and again, that's just the, the racism at play. But it simply is. It allows him to disguise and even like make exchanges between people that you really wouldn't expect. <laughs> and that is a tool that he utilizes to effectively turn this racism, this prejudice against them, into a weapon. Like, oh, so you're going to be treating me as invisible, you're not going to pay attention to me? Fine, then let me show you why you should, or rather, let me show you what happens when you don't. I will effectively upend all you're doing, all you're standing for, as he does for the rich and powerful, humiliating them and leading them on wild goose chases quite rightly, and, and that is really fascinating to read and oh, to read, to watch and see at play, because we see someone utilizing these prejudices against them, and like, yeah, you may label me, you may not pay attention, then I will take advantage of me, you think of me as less than a person, then let me show you what I am capable of, and the show doesn't really push it too radical. It's a Netflix TV show. It's 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 not really. I didn't expect it to go too far <laughs> because what we see in in his robberies, at least in the present time and whatnot, is that he's well, he's a thief for personal reasons. Or even if we don't know that much about his history as a thief, or not from what I've seen in the story we're following. He does it 
for personal reasons of like personal justice or personal revenge, perhaps. He is effectively standing up to rich people, telling them off, humiliating them, and really exposing schemes and how they are just as criminal in different ways. But that is at a personal level. That is not in an action in a more collective range or even creating any sort of change in that way. It still operates on the level of the personal, the individual, him, Ascendiop, or Lupin, or he effectively presents and acts, um, doing this for, with a collective sentiment in mind, it is, it is one of personal gain, and even if it is personal justice, which is quite fair considering the oppression and all at play, but it's, it's not that far, at least from what I've seen. It, I don't expect it to go much further, but these are the impressions that the show seems to be leading on, and again, at humanizing him as a thief, they're like, oh, it's about justice for him, for his family, etc., etc. Now, 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 <laughs> the one I've been waiting for to do, and again, I want to talk about this more, probably not here, there, well, we'll see what I can do, but for now, I finally have an excuse to talk about Persona 5 in the show, which is one of my top games of, like, the 2010s, even. Um, I'm still finishing Persona 5 Royal, which is even better, mechanically. <laughs> oh, it's so much fun. I like it a lot. Great storytelling, uh, but enough of that. As I mentioned, Arsene is the form that the main character's Persona takes. His will of rebellion, um, which is quite fitting to have the, the leader and the main character form of this as, a gen as the gentleman thief for the phantom thieves of hearts who, and that's just what happened in the game, steal the hearts of criminals and evildoers in order to have them confess their crimes and suffer their consequences, including guilt. You're effectively stealing their distorted desires, so what led them to see the world in that way of like exploitative and power and all that, it, it leads them to feel remorse like a sensible human being. So it's quite fascinating. And while in this time you're not a real thief in the traditional sense, you are still acting against abusers, against rich and the powerful. And this time for a larger, wide-ranging collective reason. You do have personal motives for each and every one of the targets that you go after, but, but, striking, for example, against a pedophile teacher, who is also physically abusing other students, and, or an exploitative and plagiarist artist, has more wide-ranging consequences and effects than just a personal quest or misadventure to steal their personal objects. You're creating ripples of change, and you're showing inner failings of society at large by directing it, your operations at a few individuals. Again, rich and powerful. Funnily enough, 
it is, I think at least, and that's what I'm arguing for, this is the most radical of the iterations I've been working on with. At least in the representation and meaning of Arsene Lupin. Even as much as the game calls it social reform and the world revolution shows up, I think once or twice. I've been paying attention in this replaying of the game. <laughs> uh, but that, that's a... and whatever with all that, with that possibility of change inside the system and whatnot. And not a, like it's outright destruction and collapse as it should. <laughs> Um, that is a conversation for another time with Labour Kyle, the All Gamers of Bastards. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. But in this, talking just about Lupin as a representation and what is he doing, he is literally a power to fight back, to subvert the crooked internal logic of the system, even as a quite traumatic teenager, in a way that is believable, entertaining, and not really annoying. The game has a few issues with that and some of the representations there, but overall it is quite engaging, I find, and in accomplishing like effective social change, even with quite magical powers. Arsène Lupin, as a symbol, he's not simply whimsical and fun, well, he is in the original stories, and just the gentleman thief humiliating the rich, that's never gonna be entertaining. Uh, it'll always be amazing to see and laughable. But in this, in this, he is the power to rebel. Game's words, not mine. In this, he truly helps you fight back. He's not a bourgeois pretend novel, he's truly like raw power. Power to resist, power to rebel, power to revolt. Um, and collectively, while you, the protagonists, have special powers, one of the things that becomes clear is that, like, the collective action and the collective perception has a great deal of power to you and in general, and you can do it alone. You need friends, you need those at your side to fight on, and even those who aren't directly part of your group, the Phantom Thieves of Hearts, friends and acquaintances, the game calls them confidants, become incredibly powerful allies that grant powers even in the more magical sense. It's not magical, it has its own logic, but I don't want to go into too much detail with that. At least not right now. And it becomes truly a, a closer look at like a collective operation, a collective response, and not in a way that is simply, I don't know, uh, paternalistic, they're like, oh, the, the people don't know, or, or whatever, it's like, it plays with that a bit, but it does more than what I'd expect, or it has the potential to go further. and. Arsène Lupin as a symbol, as a character, as a source of power, he's, he's demonic in appearance and presentation, and he is rebellious, and he's not just a thief, he's a power of will, of resistance, that necessarily needs to become collective in order to continue existing, 
and in this sense it is, I believe, the most radical of these interactions. So to sort of lead us uh, into wrapping up, I'm quite proud that I've been talking um, about different stuff and quite coherently for as long as I have, but I think I had interesting things to say. My point, or some of the points and ideas, other than it all being an excuse to talk about Persona 5 and have fun talking about Arsène Lupin, um, I also want to consider more generally how these certain figures can be both created, recreated, and re reinvented, really, um, to effectively achieve radical potential, even against their own simpler origins. Which is, again, not to say LeBlanc conceived him as such, but is to push the character further, and even if he was written like that at the time, what we have now, or we can have, or we have seen now, is an even more defiant and powerful figure. Because, to get another example, like Sherlock Holmes, he originally can be quite conservative, it was like restoring bourgeois industrial order, restoring this the British power of empire, restoring this stability against any type of subversion seen in thieves, in conspirators, that sort of thing. But in but again, that has been reappropriated. When you look at, for example, like elementary, um, which is very fun and really interesting, I like it a lot, he is much more a figure at tension with the powers that be, even institutional police, if does work with them. <laughs> his goal, his purpose is not to establish order even at, in a larger range. It is a goal for truth and for justice and opposition against power, against oppression in liberal, limited ways. But they do exist. So what what I'm trying to get at a bit is how sometimes, even in terms of like collective memory, you can operate with figures, with symbols, creating them, recreating them, changing them to achieve radical, interesting potential. And not just in explicit ways. To think about like rewritings of folklore or other stories, queering them in a really interesting way and radicalizing them at the same time. How that can be done in fun and really excellent ways. So, at the end of the day, I guess one of the things I'm trying to get at is how how that is an excellent work to do. These collective symbols, these collective figures of folklore with, again, the, the proper approach, not saying to simply appropriate and go after any interesting cultural figure that's like, from another culture, be respectful, be nice to each other, that's <laughs> a good thing to do, you know, try to be respectful of other other cultures and beliefs. And again, I'm not, that's a very elaborate discussion for Persona 5, which I'm, I'm not sure how it goes about it, because it does incorporate a variety of figures from mythology and religious beliefs, but I'm not going to go into that. But again, a discussion to be had. But in other, especially literary ones, how can they be played around 
reinvented and be utilized for us today. Arsène Lupin was this sort of bourgeois, entertaining and amusing, mocking rich people but existing in society to potentially become like a will of rebellion <laughs> and effectively promoting a sort of social reform. So, so we can do a lot when we are creating, when we are thinking, when we are writing. And I'm a historian working with literature. So that, for me, is endlessly entertaining and powerful to push these boundaries, to push some of these characters in ways that, like, sure, maybe the origin, they weren't that. Doesn't mean they can't be that now. Doesn't mean we can reinvent, recreate them. And that is excellent. Especially, like, for example, like, Great Gatsby ran out of copyright. So you can expect a bunch of interesting stories playing at that. And pushing the character in interesting ways, or the, the world, or not, or explorations and angles and perspectives. So, yeah, like potentially, there's a lot we can do with our past. What I'm saying at the end of the day is like, even in uh, with roots of like sort of conservative or limited approaches, I guess. There's a lot that we can do. This past is ours. It is ours to engage with. It is ours to understand. It is ours to rebuild. It is ours to explore. It is ours to explore these radical roots of the thief-mocking society to perhaps even push for change at society at large or even Japanese society in some way. So that is, I guess, the point I want to make that the past of literature, of history, it's ours to engage with and reappropriate them even even against history. Hell, it's like, it's literature. Like, it's not historical research. It's literature, it's fiction, or it's gaming, or it's movies. It is ours to reinvent and rework, and that can be potentially very powerful. And I think that's one of our goals when we are considering this. And not to create sort of a propaganda-like workers, like, oh, being necessarily radical and militant, but pushing in these various ways. So, for example, like, in one of my stories that I've been writing recently, like, I am applying pressure to this idea of, like, the rich and powerful doing anything to avoid death. And, you know, having them as villains is quite entertaining. Or in my <laughs> my haunted house novel that I wrote last year, how like yeah, no, what we're seeing is these are these working class ghosts executing revenge against their rich owners. So playing at these ideas while effectively creating fiction and having fun with literature, but with these radical or at times even like with queer literature, how that approaches and utilizes that in a great deal. So at the end of the day, I guess what I want to leave you off with is how the possibility to create, the possibility to invent, reinvent and recreate can allow us to do so much more. Like Arsène Lupin has been utilized in a variety of ways. And hell, even if Netflix's Lupin doesn't do that much in a sort of class or social 
uh, aspect, it does play with race in a fascinating aspect and does explore and expose that further. So how can we work with that too? So it's all these different possibilities. Again, with the proper care and concern and respect. I think that's given and that's sensible. But it is ours to do. Individually and collectively thinking. It is not simply mine or one person to do that. But it is a collective thinking, a collective consideration, working and exploring of. And that is our task and our joy, our pleasure to do. Uh, like I, w- I want to do with a couple of stories and ideas. So, yeah, that's that's what I kind of want to work on with these various mediums. And focusing on this one original literary character who has who exploded at its time, but even further now. And with so much potential to be had and considered too. So, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this special anniversary episode where I went in wild directions, but ultimately I did have a lot of fun. It it, it was great. (laughs) And yeah, uh, if you liked what you heard, if you are enjoying this, please consider leaving us an iTunes review. They do help a lot with spreading the word and it appearing in other iTunes charts. It's tough competition, but I think what we're doing is important, it's good, and I want to, want to do more, and I want to, to continually expand. So I have a lot of different collabs planned with a wide range of people, even the next one's going to be a lot of fun, but even further, it's, there are great things ahead for the left page. So as I celebrate this, and as we all, I hope, celebrate this second anniversary, two years, holy shit, there's a lot to be had, there's a lot of fun, there's a lot of potential to work with, a lot to push through, even of what we have done and what can be done. So be on the lookout for that, for sure. So thank you for listening, if you can check us out on Twitter, there at left page part and i am personally there too at frank gothic sharing a, a lot about my writings uh, venting a bit because times have been tough <laughs> but also podcast stuff and some of my own personal sci-fi research so do check one or both of those out if you can we're also on on patreon of course with the reading corners which are I go through either an academic or fictional work, or both, depending on the time and availability I have to write them, uh, which are the reading corners and the poetry clubs, which are still with me and Bruno, at least for now, where we go over a poem or a couple of poems and try to investigate them them and do an interesting read, and these are one a month. So please do check them out if you're interested. There are a few open ones to give you all an idea of what we've been doing and what you can have. And please consider supporting us if you're willing to and if you can. And if you'd like to, really, any support is appreciated. But if not, like, we're still going to be producing as much content as I can for the show proper. So you're not going to be missing out on that much. And I think that's it from me. Um, Thank you so, so much for listening. It's 
it's a joy to be able to do this even myself and to have an interesting episode and show for you all so thank you so much for listening and till the next one Give it.